reality to it. And so stretch your hands towards Eli. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Give him the words to say. Let his thoughts be yours. His words be yours. That we, your people, might receive the transforming power of your word into our lives. Thank you for your grace, God. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Am I on? You hear me? No? I got the green light. Nothing? It's on, right? Nothing? Good morning. How are we doing? I didn't know if I was going to preach here for a second. I, you know, when the Spirit of God comes, there's uh, nothing that's going to stop him. Amen? That was awesome. I really hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this Grace series, um, and it's an incredible honor um, to be a part of it <clears throat> with Devin, Colton, Breno, and Don. Um, don't sleep on this series. There's, there's so much good that's here. Um, and I'll just be honest with you, this last week has just been a complete blur for me. Um, we had our new baby girl um, 10 days ago now. Um, so first time parents, listen, parents, I have a new respect for you. Like I, I didn't know exactly, you can't really prepare for being a parent. And so uh, my wife and I have gotten to get in a routine together. And over the last 10 days, we've just felt the grace of God on us so much. Um, you know, you can run on four hours of sleep. You know what I mean? It, was, it used to be eight hours of sleep. If I didn't get eight hours of sleep, I was done. Um, but here we are. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 3, we are going to be living in verses 1 through 21 here. So verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your presence is clearly here this morning, God. We just pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would anoint the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, that they would be your words and not my own words. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I have a pop quiz for you real quick to start off. <clears throat> what do the following have in common? Klingons, Carilla DeVille, Sheriff of Nottingham, Pharisees, and Philistines. I'll be honest with you, like a couple of those, I don't really know all that well. I just know that they're comparable, right? Um, the answer is they're all someone's nemesis, foe, or rival. But if you look up the term Pharisee, you'll find at least two definitions. The first one is a first century sect of Jewish religious leaders that were committed to a strict interpretation of the Mosaic law. And number two is a self-righteous, sanctimonious, or legalistic person. That being said, we'd all rather be something else other than a Pharisee, right? They get a, they get a bad rap. In many ways, the Pharisees, um, their reputation was well-deserved back in the day. 
If 600 laws weren't enough to create a list of rituals to observe and behaviors to avoid to ensuring that the laws weren't accidentally broken, there were 39 activities on the Sabbath that you were to avoid. This was supposed to be a day of rest. Instead, the Sabbath became a very labor-intensive day. They found great um, value in ceremonial washing. And despite the religious devotion, many Pharisees actually had a good reputation in the community for their generosity, their kindness. And earning top marks in this group was a man named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. If righteousness could have been earned, this man would have earned it. But then one day, Nicodemus meets righteousness in a pair of sandals. Come on. Unlike Matthew, the tax collector, Nicodemus had loved the man he had become. He was the teacher of Israel. He was the authority on all things religious. And for months, there had been this news coming in about this new rabbi, Jesus. Nicodemus was very curious, very curious. His style of teaching was riveting. He spoke with authority. His insights on the kingdom of God were very fresh and compelling. That's why these crowds followed him. But astonishing of all, it was rumored that he had the ability to heal with a single touch. Nobody could heal but God. Right? But there were very disturbing reports too. He claimed the authority to forgive sin. This would have been blasphemy. They would have freaked out. There's no way. Colton was talking about the man that was let in from the, uh, from the top of the house, right? They were freaking out too. What does this man think he has the authority to do? But the, the complaints were overshadowed by Jesus' undeniable displays of power and disease, and even over nature. The crowds continued to grow and follow him and began to use this M word. This M word was Messiah. This word intrigued Nicodemus so much because he, like every Jew in the day, he wanted to see the Messiah come in his day. He did. But Jesus did not fit that mold. Nicodemus was a Sanhedrin. Here we go. We all like talking about politics, right? We think it was just present, it's just present in our day. It was just as present back in the days that Jesus was walking the earth. Nicodemus was a Sanhedrin. It was a political ruling group. It was the parliament, Supreme Court, Vatican, all of that rolled into one. And Caesar paid the Sanhedrin very, very well to keep the peace. So guess what that means? Nicodemus, we can assume, based off of Scripture, he would have been a, he would have been a wealthy man. Money would have been at stake for Nicodemus. This new miracle-working rabbi created a stir among the people in the temple during the Passover feast. We all know this, right? Jesus walked into the temple and began flipping tables. Right? He claimed ownership of that temple. He said, that's my father's house. 
Talk about creating a stir. But Jesus just brushed him off, and he continued healing people as if it were to say, that's enough. That's all you need to see. It's all the proof you need. But the truth is, they weren't looking for proof. They were looking for a way to maintain their hold on the masses. Because don't forget, Caesar was paying them very, very well to keep the peace. And if they were losing the peace, maybe they're not going to get paid anymore. Talk about a political system. It's not just now, church. It was back then, too. Their ideas of the Messiah was a person who would support their positions of power. Their ideas of the kingdom of God were built upon shrewd politics and military might. Jesus didn't fit that mold. He wasn't here to establish military might, was he? As much as they would have liked to, the Sanhedrin could not dismiss nor discredit Jesus. You see this in chapter, John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Many believed. They couldn't deny it. Now, the Sanhedrin had a real problem on their hands, did they not? So now we know why Nicodemus went to see Jesus by himself at night. How many of you have seen The Chosen or have at least watched The Chosen a little bit? Think about that scene with Nicodemus. Isn't that not incredible? His reaction Since John included it in his gospel, we have to assume that, he, that there was purpose for it. John didn't just put it in there just to have it in there. There was purpose in it, right? It would have been, obviously, as a Sanhedrin and as the teacher of Israel, a devout Jew that knew the Mosaic law better than anybody, arguably, it would have been incredibly bad for him to be seen with Jesus. Now we know why he went at night. Whatever reason he went to see Jesus, we know this. He had a burning question in his mind, because like I said, he wanted the Messiah to come in his lifetime. So his question was, is he the Messiah? He was convinced that there was something unique about Jesus. Remember, in John chapter 3, in the verse 3 verses, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the things that you're doing except with the power of God. What Nicodemus didn't anticipate was that he, Jesus already knew the heart of every man. And what he really did not anticipate is Jesus knew Nicodemus's heart. He knew why he was coming to him. He also discovered Jesus had a habit of answering questions no one was even asking, but that needed to be asked and answered. When Nicodemus came with his question to Jesus, Jesus had a whole nother agenda. He had a whole nother agenda. He skipped all of the Messiah stuff, which was Nicodemus' burning question. He skipped it, and he went straight to the kingdom of God and his real mission here on earth. Nicodemus' question was irrelevant because his presuppositions were all wrong. 
Jesus was the Messiah of God, not the Messiah that Nicodemus wanted. Was he not? There would be no military campaign. The Messiah had something much larger in mind. He came to liberate the entire world. Not just a few miles of real estate. The whole world. But before Nicodemus could even finish his question, (laughs) Jesus interrupts him. Look at it in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without warning, light was shining in the darkness. Nicodemus' view on the kingdom of God was all wrong. And consequently, so is his view on the Messiah. Listen to this. This is why you need to read your Bible. When Don says that this is why you need to read it, Nicodemus would have known citizenship into the kingdom of God by being born of a descendant of Abraham. That's it, right? Jews were born into the kingdom of God. If you wanted to be into the kingdom of God, you had to be converted. They still do this in Israel, do they not? This involved education and ceremonial washing like we refer to as baptism. Men, all of you should be thankful this morning that you don't have to be converted. That we're welcomed into the kingdom of God, amen? Breno, right? Otherwise, you would have had to have been circumcised. But guess what? That doesn't matter. Imagine Nicodemus' thought process. His whole world is being flipped upside down. Everything he knows is getting flipped upside down. Nicodemus wasn't there to discuss the entrance into the kingdom of God. Because in his mind, that had been settled for centuries. The question was, is Jesus the Messiah? Remember, Jesus didn't answer that question. Nothing Jesus said fit into Nicodemus' worldview. Because in Nicodemus' worldview, Jews were in to the kingdom of God. Gentiles were out. Right? But Jesus was saying all people can be born into the kingdom of God. It was all about learning the law because law keepers merited God's blessing. Right? That's what Nicodemus knew. That was his life. And lawbreakers lived under the threat of judgment. If Jesus would have stopped, think about this for a second, if Jesus would have stopped at the word born and even said born to a Jewish father, that would have made sense. That would have clicked in his mind. But this born again, this is new. And it, wasn't what he, it still wasn't what he came to talk about. Jesus was talking about a second birth. So Nicodemus says, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? But Jesus was saying that being a descendant of Abraham was no longer enough. This was blasphemy. But Nicodemus heard him out. So now Nicodemus is stuck. Does he retract his opening statement? He 
He couldn't because of his curiosity. So he surrenders his agenda and asks another question. You see this in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answers in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus of all people, this man was very educated. He should have known that physical birth was not enough to get into the kingdom of God. He should have known. There's more to it than that. <laughs> Something has to happen from above. Listen to Nicodemus' response in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? This wasn't Nicodemus saying necessarily, how can these things be? This was Nicodemus responding saying, how could I have missed this? How did I miss this? Nicodemus was an intelligent man. He knew the Word of God, right? Again, in this, the, chain, the scene in the Chosen, if you haven't watched that, I really encourage you. They do such a good job painting a picture of Nicodemus' reaction. So Jesus adds to this in verses 12 and 13. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So now things are completely out of control. Jesus is claiming to have come from heaven, literally. So either this man is a complete and total loon, or he's the man that Nicodemus has been waiting for all along. Can you imagine the excitement that Nicodemus has? Is this the man I've been waiting for all along? So let's give him credit. He could have easily ran away because Jesus hadn't answered his question. He could have ran away. This man had shaped his whole life upholding religious, religi religious excuse my French, however I'm saying, religious system that had shaped his identity and life purpose. His whole identity, his whole purpose in life was shaped by this religious system. He could have ran away. He could have gone back to the life he was still living, right? He could have still been the teacher of Israel, the rabbi that everybody came to. But he stays considering that he may have missed something, just something. Seeing this, Jesus uses a, Nic uh, a story Nicodemus could relate to. Every Jew would have known this story. We see it in uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was saying he must die. So during their wandering years, Israel had found itself um, in a place inhabited by thousands of poisonous snakes. People were dying by the hundreds, being bitten. So the Lord instructed Moses to craft a bronze snake and set it on a pole. And anyone who was bitten 
and looked at that bronze snake lived. It was God's way of teaching people to look to him for their protection and their provision. So Jesus adds to the story. And as Moses was lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It was no longer just being born a descendant of Abraham. That's not what he was saying. This was more than Nicodemus had bargained for. But now he had his answer. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. He got the answer he was looking for. A man lifted up on a pole was a man who had been sentenced to death. There was nothing in Nicodemus's theology that would have allowed for an executed Messiah. Right? Jesus was saying everybody, remember that, not just the Jews. Nicodemus would have saw it as just the Jews. But Jesus was saying everybody. Think about this first encounter with Jesus for Nicodemus. This would have been way too much for him to handle. Right? Just Jesus being slain in his death would create a bridge to eternal life for all of us. For you and me. For Nicodemus. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. As disturbing as this may have been for some, it was liberating. Because it's just too simple, right? It's too simple. Not only did Jesus know Nicodemus' heart, Nicodemus knew his own heart. Because as hard as he had tried to keep God's law, he failed. And he knew he had failed. If eternal life was reserved just for the good, even as devout as a man of Nicodemus's stature, he still, he still missed the mark. He was still missing the mark. So this news would have been liberating for him. Nicodemus saw what he had never seen before. He saw the, the necessity for a Messiah to die for the nation instead of leading them on a revolt against Rome. And that's all we know of Nicodemus' first encounter with Christ. Church, how easy is it to miss it? Nicodemus is here for 21 verses. How easy, it for, is, easy is it for us to gloss over it? And miss it. How powerful this story is. We sat in sermon prep on Thursday and our minds were just, it's crazy. Time went by and Jesus' popularity grew and so did the anxiety among the Sanhedrin. Something had to be done because siding with Jesus was not an option. That wasn't an option. Remember, keep the peace and I'll pay you a pretty penny. But standing around while his influence over people slipped wasn't an option either. They had to do something. They had to intervene somehow. The only option was what? Silence him. Make him disappear. Oh, this gets so good. Hold on. 
The Pharisees had a failed attempt to arrest Jesus, so they met with the Sanhedrin. Guess who was present? There's Nicodemus. After his encounter with Christ, man, I got the goose on, so hold on. Nicodemus was there. Don't you think Jesus knew Nicodemus was coming? He knew. If he had a moment with Nicodemus. When the discussion became sinister with the Sanhedrin, guess who stepped up to challenge his peers? There he is again. John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before Jesus, and who was one of them, the Sanhedrin, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They were stunned because Nicodemus was right. They knew he was right. There was no investigation. Only allegations. But they changed the subject, not wanting to hear the facts. Look at verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They would have been correct, but if they would have looked into it, Jesus wasn't even from Galilee. He was from Bethlehem. Nicodemus' original encounter with Jesus made an impression. Something in him wanted Jesus to be right. He wanted him to be right about eternal life and right about the kingdom of God. Why? Because this entire life he's let this religious system shape his identity but now, he can just be born again into the kingdom of God by accepting the Messiah, the Son of God. Man, again, we should be thankful. You don't have to be circumcised. Praise God. The hypocrisy of the religious system had left him wanting more. Maybe you're there. Maybe your whole life, something else other than Jesus has defined you. Maybe a religious system. Maybe it's a job title. Maybe it's a hobby. For a lot of young men, it's sports. You let something other than Jesus define you. Nicodemus' curiosity brought revelation. It brought breakthrough for him. It was liberating. If eternal life hangs in the balance of personal behavior, then of course we as men will create ways against, around the law. We'll never measure up. It's so it's no, it's no wonder so much effort went into rules and rituals. But his eyes were open. He couldn't go back. Imagine Nicodemus' inner turmoil when he heard that Jesus had been arrested and had been rushed through a series of mock trials. Imagine the turmoil. Remember what Jesus said to him. So has Moses so as the serpent was lifted up, so, much, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Then it clicked in his mind, right? This is what Jesus had said it was going to happen. It had been the plan all along. Jesus' execution was a, 
uh, was disillusionment for most of his followers, right? The disciples abandoned him in the end. Because crucifixion was the ultimate sign of defeat. They had all been wrong. Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. Right? He was to Nicodemus. He was the Messiah. This indicated a whole new beginning for Nicodemus. The event that deflated the disciples was the same event that brought everything together for him. Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah. How could they have missed that? That's in Isaiah chapter 53. I don't have a ton of time, so I won't read through that. So this, but this must have taken Nicodemus' breath away, right? Because this man knew the Word of God. This is why he said, how could this be? How did I miss this? It was right in front of me. Church, forgiveness and eternal life are not obtained through the law. Forgiveness required a payment. That's why some of us get bored when we're reading through the Old Testament, all the sacrificial systems that were in place, all this, because it required a payment. Think about Nicodemus standing in the crowd and watching Jesus be lifted up on the cross. Maybe he was the only one that understood the significance of that moment. Because the word that Jesus had given him was becoming fulfilled. Right? You guys, we all know John 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he... Everybody knows that, right? Even non-Christians know that. Who was Jesus speaking to? He was talking to Nicodemus. How many times have we read through the Scripture and we miss it? We miss that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. The most popular verse in all of culture. Non-Christians know it. Right? He was talking to Nicodemus. Oh, my word, it's so good. As he saw Jesus die, he believed for the first time, and for the first time in his righteous life, he had assurance that he had a right standing with God without a religious system. For once, he was righteous because of the man that was dying on the cross, not because of anything he could have done anymore. It's not about him anymore. It was fulfilled. He wasn't concerned with his reputation anymore. He broke the ranks and joined the tiny band of disciples. Don, I don't think they're ready for this, man. It was illegal to bury somebody who had been crucified. Their bodies were left to days to rot. It was a sign of public humiliation. That's what crucifixion was. When their bodies were removed, they would have put them into the local dump. This would have been Jesus' fate his body's fate, if someone had not intervened. But the message of grace brought out a secret disciple. If you go to John chapter 19, verses 38 and 40. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he, might be, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. 
So he came and took away his body. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Did you miss that? The teacher of Israel, the devout Jew, he's there. Like Don likes to say, there he is. There's Nicodemus. 75 pounds wouldn't have been cheap, church. That would have been expensive. Maybe God has wrecked your world just like Jesus did to Nicodemus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're relating to this story. Your world has gotten flipped upside down by something that's happened in your personal life. Can I give you the good news? Jesus didn't die just for Nicodemus. Right? He died for all of us. There's a new beginning. The most devout Jew had a new beginning. Nicodemus had no way of knowing that his short encounter with Jesus would become one of the most popular stories of grace in the New Testament. He also couldn't have known something else. His faith and love for Jesus led him to do something that even Jesus' closest followers couldn't do. Not even the disciples did that. It was Nicodemus. By taking possession of the body, he gave Christians irrefutable proof of his resurrection. Remember, he would have been put in a local dump. The reason we believe he died is because he was buried. He wasn't dumped in a ditch, church. If someone were dumped in a ditch, it would have been easy to explain if they showed back up in town, right? But to be taken down from the cross by people who would have carefully looked for signs of life. We know that. They stuck the spear in his side. Check for life. But they prepared the body for burial with washing and spices, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. He was clearly dead. And obviously, if he wasn't dead, he would have died by suffocation from the cloth, right? Here he is again. Nicodemus' faith in Christ led to the strongest evidence for his resurrection. Worship team, you can come up here. The man Jesus told to be born again paved the way for generations to believe that he rose from the dead. And it was Jesus' resurrection that confirmed everything he taught. The law of God was not enough. He needed grace. Nicodemus saw grace as an opportunity for a new life. He allowed Jesus to redefine him. Just really take that in for a moment. This man was the teacher of Israel. He was devout in all of his ways. People came to him for questions so he could answer them, right? They came to Nicodemus, but now he's born again by grace because he was left wanting more in that religious system. Church, eternal life is not a, good re- it's not a, re- a reward for good people, right? It's, our ge- it's God's gift to forgiven people for you and me. 
forgiven people. When Jesus was lifted up at Golgotha, he was lifted up to become the sin of the world, yours and mine. His death satisfied sin's requirements, all of them. This morning, whatever you think you owe God, Jesus already paid all of it. This morning, whatever you think you owe God, Jesus already paid for it, church. I don't care what you've done. I don't know where you've been. Well, let me bring you encouragement this morning. Jesus has already paid for it. Some of you may have known my dad three years ago. I can testify to the man that he is now after three years in the hospital for six months. I remember pleading with God because he was an angry man. I remember pleading with God, give him one more chance. Just give him one more chance, please. I want him to meet my kids. And guess what? There she is. Because of the grace of God, because we pleaded with God to keep him here on earth with us just one more chance, and he got another chance at life. You can have another chance too. The story of grace doesn't end here, church. What have we been saying throughout this whole series? It's not grace if it's earned. You can't earn grace, then it's not grace. There's only something for us to receive forgiveness. So the only question remaining this morning is, have I received God's gift of eternal life by placing my faith in Christ's death as the full and final payment for my sin? There's a Nicodemus here this morning. You need a new beginning. You need a new start. Maybe there's a mistake that you've made that you just can't let go of. Maybe you've allowed a religious system, something other than Jesus, to define you. This morning can be a new beginning for you. Your story is just as powerful as Nicodemus. I want to encourage you this morning as they lead us in one last song. If you want to make today a life-changing day, now's your opportunity. You can have a new beginning. You can be, be born again by grace, just like Nicodemus, just like my dad. You can be born again. Take the opportunity this morning. Don't miss this.
I am true. 